Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for July, August and September 2013, titled Revival and Reformation. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 5 for July 27 to August 2, Obedience, the Fruit of Revival. Sabbath afternoon, July 27. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that you are the God who created the universe. You are the God who demands respect. You are the God who has earned respect by sending your Son so that each of us could have eternal life. And as we open your word this week, we want to come before you humbly, asking you to guide us through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen. Our memory text this week is 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the obedience of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let's read that again, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. An illustration of the impact of revival on daily life can be seen in the Welsh Revival of 1904. Evan Roberts and some of his friends began earnestly praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They interceded, studied scripture, and shared their faith. The Spirit was poured out in response. Lives were changed. In six months, there were 100,000 conversions in the small country of Wales. The result of this revival was seen throughout the country. Throughout the day, people flocked to churches by the thousands for prayer. The rough, cursing coal miners were transformed into kind, courteous gentlemen. Even the pit ponies in the coal mines had to learn new commands, because the miners were not cursing at them anymore. Transformed, obedient lives sprang from converted hearts. This is irrefutable evidence of a true revival. Sunday, July 28, The Transformed Life Revival does not simply result in some warm, fuzzy feeling of supposed closeness to Jesus. It results in a changed life. There were times when the Bible writers felt extremely close to Jesus, and at other times they felt distant. There were times when their spirits soared in ecstasy, and they delighted in the joy of His presence. At other times... They did not feel the nearness of his presence at all. The results of revival are not necessarily positive feelings. They are a changed life. Our feelings are not the fruit of revival. Again, obedience is. This is evident in the lives of the disciples after Pentecost. Question. 
analyse Peter's reactions before the cross, after the resurrection, and after Pentecost. What do you notice? What difference did the cross, the resurrection, and Pentecost make in Peter's attitudes? First of all, we'll look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 to 74, Peter's reaction before the cross. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him, saying, You also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you are saying. And when he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, This fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, Surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And the second set of verses comes from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. And this is Peter's reaction after the resurrection. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. And finally, Acts chapter 5 and verses 28 to 32. And this is Peter's reaction after Pentecost. Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and saviour, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost made a dramatic difference in Peter's life. It transformed him from a weak, vacillating believer to a faith-filled, obedient disciple. Once full of brash words and empty promises, Peter now became filled with faith, courage and zeal for witnessing. It is a powerful example of what the Holy Spirit can do for anyone surrendered in faith and obedience to our Lord.
Monday, July 29, The High Cost of Obedience One of the early examples of faith and the cost of faith can be seen in the life of Stephen. Question. How is Stephen described in the following passages? Acts chapter 6, verses 3 to 10, and chapter 7, verse 55. Well, beginning in chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And then chapter 7 and verse 55. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. The infilling of the Holy Spirit led the disciples to live unselfish, godly lives. Their faith led them to obedience. At times the spiritual warfare was fierce, but Jesus, their Lord and Saviour, was by their side to strengthen their faith. They were stoned, imprisoned, burned at the stake, and shipwrecked. Their obedience also often came with an unusually high price. Many of the disciples suffered a martyr's death. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches a magnificent sermon outlining the history of Israel. He describes the experience of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, and Solomon. Throughout his appeal, Stephen describes God's faithfulness in the light of Israel's unfaithfulness. Stephen concludes his sermon by charging that the religious leaders of Israel violated God's covenant and resisted the influence of the Holy Spirit in verses 52 and 51. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute, and they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers? Question. What happened to Stephen because of his witness for Jesus? What does this teach us about what the cost of faithfulness can be? Beginning at verse 54, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopping their ears, and ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was obedient to the call of God and faithful to the mission of God, even to the point of death. Though we might not all be called to die for our faith, we need to be so committed to our Lord that if we were called to that, we would not back off, but, like Stephen, remain faithful to the end. It's not out of the realm of possibility that someone reading these words right now will one day have to give up his or her life in the cause of the Lord. What would happen were you to face a life-threatening situation because of your powerful witness? Though you might not be able now to predict what you would do, how have your past actions revealed the way in which you might react if one day you were brought into such a situation? Tuesday, July 30, When the Spirit Surprises Although Saul was misguided in his fierce persecution of Christians, he thought he was doing God's will in confronting what he believed to be a fanatical sect. As Saul journeyed to Damascus to capture Christians and drag them back to Jerusalem, Jesus dramatically surprised him. Saul's Damascus Road experience changed not only his life, but it changed the world as well. Question. Read the account of Paul's conversion experience in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 9. Why did the Lord send him immediately to Ananias after this experience? What important lesson is here for us? Beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. From the book Acts of the Apostles, page 122, we read, Many have an idea that they are responsible to Christ alone for their light and experience, independent of his recognized followers on earth. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and his heart is touched with their woe. He has all power, both in heaven and on earth, but he respects the means that he has ordained for the enlightenment and salvation of men. 
he directs sinners to the church, which he has made a channel of light to the world. When in the midst of his blind error and prejudice, Saul was given a revelation of the Christ whom he was persecuting, he was placed in direct communication with the church, which is the light of the world. Question. How did Jesus surprise Ananias? What attitude must Ananias have had in order to follow the Saviour's instructions? Chapter 9, verses 10 to 16. Now, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise, and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying, and in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Try to put yourself in the position of Paul after meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus. What a shock to him. Also, try to put yourself in Ananias's position. What a shock it must have been to him as well. What do these accounts teach us about the ways in which we might be called by the Lord to face and do things that at the time we don't understand? Why, though, must we obey the Lord regardless? Wednesday, July 31. Sensitivity to the Spirit's Call Throughout his ministry, Paul was guided by the Spirit, convicted by the Spirit, instructed by the Spirit, and empowered by the Spirit. In his defense before King Agrippa, he described the heavenly vision on the Damascus Road. He then testified that the purpose of his ministry to both the Jews and Gentiles was to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. That's Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Question. In light of the Holy Spirit's guidance, what is significant about the Apostle Paul's response to his Damascus Road vision? Contrast Paul's response to the call of the Holy Spirit to King Agrippa's response in Acts chapter 26, verses 19 to 32. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. 
Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defence, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the truth, the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things, for I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and together such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves, saying, This man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, This man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. In direct contrast to Paul, King Agrippa did not yield to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. His own self-inflated importance and egotistical desires were in conflict with the Spirit's prompting for a new life in Christ. Jesus stated it clearly in John 12, verses 35 and 36. A little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. As we obediently follow the guidance of the Holy Spirit and walk in the light of God's truth, He will continually reveal more light and truth. At the same time, too, the more that we push away the prompting of the Holy Spirit, the more that we resist Him, the harder our hearts will become. So to finish today, Acts 26 verse 28 reads, Almost you persuadest me to be a Christian. Those are some of the most poignant, powerful and sad words in all the Bible. In what ways can we be in danger of harbouring a similar attitude? For instance, how does compromise in our walk with the Lord reveal the same principle that is seen in Agrippa's words? Thursday, August 1. Spirit-led obedience. The Holy Spirit played a major role in every aspect of Jesus' life. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit and anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power at baptism, the birth of his ministry. Throughout Christ's life, he was obedient to the Father's will. Let's check some of this. First of all, in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 20. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And a couple of chapters on to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And in Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 38. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, that word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And then in John Chapter 8 and verse 29, we read, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. And Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 7. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Question. Read Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 to 8. What aspects of a life filled with the Holy Spirit appear in this specific description of Jesus? Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. He who was in the form or the very essence of God made himself, or as the original Greek text of the New Testament says, emptied himself of his privileges and prerogatives as God's equal and instead became a servant. Jesus was a servant to the Father's will. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus provides an example of what a life filled with the Holy Spirit is like. It is a life of willing obedience and humble submission to the Father's will. It is a prayerful life devoted to service and ministry, a life consumed with the passionate desire to see others saved in the Father's kingdom. The Apostle Paul declares that spirit-filled New Testament believers have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, Romans 1.5. The heathen, on the other hand, as it says in chapter 2, verse 8, are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. In Romans chapter 6, verses 15 to 23, Paul uses two contrasting expressions, slaves of sin 
and slaves of righteousness. In Romans 8 verses 12 to 17, he describes the spirit of bondage and the spirit of adoption. What does your own experience with the Lord, with faith, with the struggle against sin, and with acceptance from God tell you about the meaning of these terms? Friday, August 2. Ellen White writes in Heavenly Places, page 183, At the entrance gate of the path that leads to everlasting life, God places faith, and he lines the whole way with the light and peace and joy of willing obedience. The traveller in this way keeps ever before him the mark of his high calling in Christ. The prize is ever in sight. To him, God's commands are righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And by the same author, the Acts of the Apostles, page 49. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not limited to any age or to any race. Christ declared that the divine influence of his Spirit was to be with his followers until the end. From the day of Pentecost to the present time, the Comforter has been sent to all who have yielded themselves fully to the Lord and to His service. To all who have accepted Christ as a personal Saviour, the Holy Spirit has come as a counsellor, sanctifier, guide and witness. The more closely believers have walked with God, the more clearly and powerfully they have testified of their Redeemer's love and of His saving grace. The men and women who, through the long centuries of persecution and trial, enjoyed a large measure of the presence of the Spirit in their lives, have stood as signs and wonders in the world. Before angels and men, they have revealed the transforming power of redeeming love. And that brings us to our three discussion questions this week. First of all, in number one, we need to go to Acts chapter 5 and verses 1 to 11. The question is, what can we learn from the powerful and to some degree frightful story? Why do you think that they face such dire consequences for their actions? Acts chapter 5 verses 1 to 11. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession. And he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things, and the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, Yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. 
Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young man came in and found her dead, and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church, and upon all who heard these things. Question 2. Dwell on Thursday's study, which talked about how Jesus emptied himself in order to fulfill what he came here to do. How can we take that principle and apply it to ourselves in our walk with the Lord? Why especially, uh, as we seek for revival and reformation in our lives and in the church, is this kind of self-denial and death to self so crucial? 3. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, Acts 26.28. In class, talk more about the implications of these fateful words. And that brings us to Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, A New Leaf. Danilo paced the floor in anger. What right does Mum have to send me away, he asked himself. She hasn't been here for me for years. Danilo's parents had divorced when he was five years old. He and his brother lived with his father, who drank heavily. By the time Danilo was twelve, he was drinking too. Then friends offered him cocaine and soon he was hooked. He started selling cocaine to pay for his own drugs. When his mother found out, she gave him an ultimatum, go into rehab or go to a boarding school. Fearful for her son, she took Danilo to live far from his friends. Danilo stopped using drugs for a while, but when he went to live with his dad, he started using drugs again. He needed money for drugs, and a friend suggested that they rob a pizza parlour but the manager recognised his friend and called the police. The boys were arrested. While Danilo waited for his father to bail him out, he had time to think about what he had done. He remembered that when he was little, his parents had taken him to church and taught him to pray. For the first time in years, Danilo prayed, God, if you take me out of this situation, I'll change my life. The judge sentenced Danilo to probation. Danilo wanted to change his life, so his father asked a cousin to help enrol Danilo in a Seventh-day Adventist boarding school near the capital city of Brazil. Danilo didn't have money to study at the school, but his cousin helped him to get a part-time job to help pay his tuition. At school, he started reading the Bible and felt God drawing him to himself. Danilo enjoyed his studies and made the best of his second chance. He has given his life to Jesus, and is thrilled to know that God is changing his life one day at a time. I feel freer now, freer than I've ever felt. There's a no high like the high I get from praising God, he says. The school sponsors several outreach activities, and Danilo enjoys sharing his new faith with others, especially his parents and brother. He prays that one day the family will be united in Christ who is changing him completely. Our mission offerings help to establish and strengthen Seventh-day Adventist schools where young people's lives can change forever. 
part of a recent 13 Sabbath offering is helping to build a church on the campus of Central Brazil Adventist Academy, where Danilo studies and is preparing to become a leader for God. Thank you. This week's reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Your reader has been Dr. Percy Harold. Remember, God is always faithful.